0: Tonight's headlines Ferdinand Marcos re elected unrested into second term. Saddam Hussein gets long drop for crimes. And Scott breaks ice with farthest south. Plus, in a shocking twist, allegorical snake oil scandal in library. Those are the headlines. This is the news.
1: News bang. Exposing the truth in a blinding flash of light. 1969.
0: Ferdinand Marcos, the Philippine president, has declared himself a bit of a prick. The move comes as no surprise to anyone who's met him or seen his face. Citing economic unrest as the reason for his power grab, it's widely believed he just fancied another go on the throne. Marcos, known for his corruption and extravagance, is said to have spent millions on shoes alone, though to be fair, they were lovely courts from Harrods. His brutality was also well documented. One bystander, Derek Gravel from Davao City, said, He once looked at me funny, and I wet myself.
2: The People Power Revolution eventually booted him out in 1986, but not before he'd had a right old time of it. His wife Imelda left behind over 300,000 pairs of shoes and a note that read, I've gone to see if I can find some taste.
1: Adam, 2006
0: Saddam Hussein, the former Iraqi dictator and part-time spider impersonator, has been sentenced to death by hanging for crimes, against humanity, and parking on double yellow lines. The trial, which lasted longer than a British queue, found him guilty of the Dujail massacre in 1982, where he allegedly used civilians as dominoes. Hussein, who ruled Iraq with an iron fist and a velvet glove for special occasions, was found guilty of the Dujail massacre in 1982, a year so cataclysmic it required two digits. The trial held by the Iraqi High Tribunal resembled a particularly heated episode of Judge Judy, but with more stoning.
2: Saddam's defense team collapsed faster than his weapons of mass destruction dossier. When it emerged, he'd already signed confessions underneath El Saddam Hussein. In his final moments, he requested a last meal of KFC and an Uber to the gallows. His executioner, shaky Ali Baba, pulled the lever sending Saddam to meet his 72 virgins. Although, with his track record, it's more likely to be 72 ex-wives.
1: Ooh,
0: 1902. In the year 1902, a hearty band of Brits led by Robert Falcon Scott set sail for the frozen wasteland of Antarctica, The Discovery Expedition, named after their ship or the look on their faces when they saw the weather, hadn't been back since Captain Scott's last doomed mission to Sainsbury's. Their mission, to boldly go where no man had gone before, on expenses. Their journey southward was fraught with peril, man against nature at its most extreme. Temperatures plummeted to minus minus Celsius and rations dwindled to nothing but a frozen crumpet and some stale penguin jerky. Yet they pressed onwards. Fueled by sheer determination and whatever blubber they could melt down into a hot beverage. But this was just the start of their icy adventures. Scott would later return with Terra Nova, his new girlfriend, to one up himself at the South Pole, a feat that would go down in history, or at least until someone found Shackleton's selfie stick.
2: For now, we salute these hardy explorers who braved uncharted tundra and freezing winds just to prove that Britain still had it where it counted, at the bottom of the world. And if they hadn't, we'd all be dead.
1: News Bang! Unveiling the truth one fact at a time.
0: And now, Shakanaka Giles with the weather forecast for New Year's Eve.
3: Tomorrow, New Year's Eve promises a festive weather mix. In the south, expect a mild day, with temperatures hovering around 10 degrees. It's as if the weather is warming up for the celebrations, like a mince pie in the oven. A band of rain will move across the country, starting in the west and reaching the east by mid-afternoon. This weather is a bit like a tipsy gypsy, unpredictable and liable to make a mess. In the north, the winds will pick up especially around the Scottish Highlands. This weather's like a hyperactive child, full of energy and ready to blow your party hats off. In summary, mild temperatures, unpredictable rain and blustery winds. Wrap up warm, keep the umbrellas handy and prepare for a New Year's Eve to remember. And that's all the weather.
1: 2009. The second millennium's first
0: decade reaches its zenith, and the world watches as Iran's political landscape undergoes a seismic shift. Ashura, a day typically marked by joyous celebrations, becomes the stage for a dramatic showdown between government supporters and opponents. The Spark, a disputed presidential election that has set the nation ablaze. The streets echo with cries of protest and counter-demonstrations a spectacle that harkens back to the ancient art of rhetoric, albeit with a modern twist. And the Ashura protests in Iran continue to escalate. For more on this story, we turn to our correspondent Brian Bastable.
4: As I stood on the edge of the abyss, the sound of a thousand souls weeping in unison filled the air. The sun had long since set, leaving the sky a deep bloody red. The scent of burning rubber and gunpowder filled my nostrils as I watched the two sides clash, their weapons raised high, their faces twisted in rage. But amidst the chaos and the carnage, there is a sense of purpose, a sense of determination. For today, my friends, is a shura, a day of commemoration in Islam, a day of fasting and joy. But not here, not today. For today, Ashura has taken on a new meaning. Today, Ashura is a day of protest, a day of defiance, a day of resistance. The streets are filled with pro-government counter-demonstrators, men and women who have come out in force to show their support for the government and to denounce the anti-government protests that have been taking place in recent days. But the anti-government protesters are not to be deterred. They are here in force, their voices raised in protest, their fists raised in defiance. The air was thick with tension, the silence broken only by the occasional gunshot or the screams of the wounded. And then, as if on cue, the drums began to beat, their rhythm pulsing through the air like a living thing. But amidst the chaos and the carnage, there is a sense of unity, a sense of purpose. For today, my friends, the people of this city have come together to stand up for what they believe in, to fight for their rights, to demand justice. And as I stand here in the midst of this battle, I am reminded once again of the power of the human spirit, the strength of the human will. For today, on this day of Ashura, the people of this city have shown that they will not be silenced, that they will not be intimidated, that they will not be defeated. This is Brian Bastable reporting live from the front lines of the Ashura protests for Newsbang.
1: The year is 2013,
0: and Kinshasa, the sprawling capital of the Democratic Republic of the Congo, has become a battlefield. Supporters of religious leader Paul Joseph Mukungubala launched attacks on television studios, the airport, and a military base, inciting a fierce response from state security forces. The death toll mounts as the city's 16 million residents huddle in fear. As the chaos unfolds, our correspondent Ken Shit has been on the ground, piecing together the story. Ken, what can you tell us about the situation in Kinshasa?
5: Holy mother of Lucifer, it's a massacre in the heart of Africa. The year is 20-fucking-13, and the Democratic Republic of Congo has turned into a goddamn war zone. Paul Joseph Mukungubila, some cockwumble religious leader, has managed to rally his deluded followers into launching full-scale attacks on the very institutions that keep Kinshasa running. The television studios, gone. The airport, burnt to a crisp, and a military base, absolutely decimated. The state security forces have responded with all the force at their disposal, but it's like trying to put out a forest fire with a garden hose. Bodies are piling up faster than you can say holy shit. And for what? Some nutjobs twisted interpretation of religion? Kinshasa, once a bustling metropolis, teeming with life and energy, has now become a battlefield. The city that was once the economic, political and cultural heart of the country, is now little more than a charred wasteland. And what about those poor bastards caught in the crossfire? Innocent civilians caught between two factions locked in a brutal struggle for power and control. It's enough to make you want to crawl into a hole and never come out again. This is Ken Shit reminding you that no matter how much we try to separate ourselves from our animalistic instincts, There will always be those who embrace their inner savage and wreak havoc on innocent lives. God help us all.
1: 1969.
0: Ferdinand Marcos, the Philippine president, has declared martial law this day in 1969, plunging the nation into a dark era of corruption, extravagance and brutality. This decision a response to economic unrest during his second term, extended Marcos' rule until 1981 indefinitely seizing power. However, the people of the Philippines, weary of tyranny, rose against their oppressor in the people-power revolution of 1986, ultimately removing Marcos from power. Now to discuss the intricacies of this historical moment, we turn to our reporter, Hardiman Pesto. Good evening, Martin. I'm here with our special
4: guest, Ferdinand Marcos, the former president of the Philippines. Marcos, could you tell us about the economic unrest that led to your decision to declare martial law
0: in 1969? Certainly, Hardiman, there were indeed economic challenges, but I believe martial law was the best course of action to stabilize the nation. Pesto, are you seriously suggesting that martial law was a solution to economic unrest? You've got to be kidding me. Well, Martin, it's a complex situation and our guest here, Ferdinand Marcos, has a unique perspective. Indeed, I did what I thought was best for the country at the time. And look where it got you, Marcos. Exiled and removed from power in 1986. Pesto, you're interviewing a dictator and acting like he's some kind of economic expert. I'm just trying to understand his perspective, Martin. His perspective is that of a corrupt, extravagant and brutal ruler. Pesto, you're embarrassing yourself. I'm just trying to do my job, Martin. Well... Your job seems to be making a fool of yourself. But, Martin, I was just getting to the good part. No, thank you, Pesto. Pesto, thank you. A
1: 1940.
0: Today, we journey back to 1940 when the Arroyo Seco Parkway, or Pasadena Freeway, was unveiled, connecting downtown Los Angeles with Pasadena. A marvel of its time, it now faces scrutiny for its narrow lanes and outdated design. Downtown Los Angeles, the bustling epicenter of commerce and residency, boasts over half a million jobs. Meanwhile, Pasadena, a city northeast of LA, basks in the fame of its old Pasadena commercial district. Melody Wintergreen, our American correspondent, will provide further insights.
6: The year is 1940, and the ribbon is cut on a concrete serpent slithering through the heart of California. The Arroyo Seco Parkway, a marvel of modernity, connects the beating heart of downtown Los Angeles with the genteel charm of Pasadena. But what was once the pinnacle of pavement progress has become a quaint crawl space in our fast paced age. As cars hug its curves tighter than a starlet's dress, this granddaddy of freeways now gasps beneath the weight of 21st century traffic. Downtown Los Angeles, a bustling mosaic of commerce and culture where dreams are traded on every corner feels the pulse quicken as the parkway brings its lifeblood ever closer. And Pasadena with its stately avenues whispering tales of old money and rose parades finds itself but a stone's throw from the city's ceaseless hum. Yet here we stand, where history's highway meets tomorrow's trailblazers, on an asphalt artery that insists on beating despite the march of time. So buckle up and take a ride down memory lane Just mind the (laughs) potholes. Melody Wintergreen reporting for Newsbang on location at the historic Arroyo Seco Parkway.
1: Newsbang, biting the bullet of truth one fact at a time.
0: Penelope Windchime, our trusted voice on environmental matters, brings us a reflection on the power of nature and the impact of human actions. From the fury of hurricanes to the threat of oil spills, she explores the delicate balance between humanity and the environment.
7: Hark! The year 2005, a tempestuous dance of nature's fury unfurled across the Atlantic. Tropical storm Zeta, the 28th sprite of wind and rain, pirouetted into existence a month past the season's curtain call. This relentless ballet of storms spun a record of 28 cyclonic performers, with 15 ascending to hurricane stardom and seven reaching the dizzying heights of major hurricane fame. Fast forward to 2009, where a dragon's vein ruptured under China's ancient soils. A deluge of diesel, 150,000 litres strong, surged through the Wei River like a mechanical plague the Lanzhou-Zhengzhou-Changsha pipeline wept its oily tears all the way to the Yellow River's storied banks, a sorrowful libation to civilization's past, threatening the lifeblood of millions. I am Penelope Windchime, your siren of sustainability, singing tales of tempests and torrents in this ever-spinning globe we call home.
0: We now journey back to 2006 a year teeming with events. Polly Beep guides us through the chaotic day on Britain's roads, where drivers face a labyrinth of challenges and find joy in the journey.
8: We're taking a trip back to the past, to the year 2006. On the roads, the MV Senopati Nusantara, an Indonesian ferry, sank in the Java Sea during a storm, resulting in the death of at least 400 people. It's a stark reminder of the dangers of our daily commute. In other news, the A12 has turned into a giant slide. If you're driving along, be prepared to experience a fun, if somewhat perilous, descent. The slide will continue for several miles. So fasten your seatbelts and enjoy the ride. The M11 is a different story. A series of mysterious explosions have caused the road to become a minefield. We're urging drivers to take extra care. And if you see any flashing lights, it's best to stop and wait for the all clear. And in more unfortunate news, the M40 has turned into a minefield. A rogue cheese factory has started to produce a new variety of explosive cheese, causing the road to become a perilous path. Drivers are advised to avoid the area and stick to the cheese aisles in supermarkets. The M25 is undergoing a makeover the road is being turned into a giant skate park, so expect some interesting obstacles and ramps. If you're driving, be prepared to share the road with skateboarders and BMX riders. And finally, the M50 is under threat from a swarm of locusts. The insects are descending on the road, devouring everything in their path. Drivers are advised to stay in their vehicles and wait for the locusts to pass. Until next time... Keep your wits about you and your windscreen clear. This is Polly Beep, wishing you safe travels on your merry way. Ooh,
1: 1902.
0: Calamity Prenderville, our science correspondent, takes us on a thrilling journey back to 1902, when the British braved the Antarctic chill in the groundbreaking Discovery expedition. Mm
9: Good evening fellow tech heads, it's your favourite tech savvy science presenter, Calamity Prenderville, here to bring you the latest in British innovation. Tonight we're taking a trip back in time to the year 1902, when the Discovery Expedition, led by none other than Robert Falcon Scott, achieved a new farthest south point in Antarctica. That's right folks, we're talking about the British National Antarctic Expedition, a groundbreaking exploration of the Antarctic that hadn't been seen in over 60 years. Let me tell you, this expedition was a technological marvel. It marked the first official British exploration of the Antarctic since the days of the Roman Empire, and it launched the Antarctic careers of several notable figures, including Scott, Shackleton, Wilson, Wilde, Crean and Lashley.
3: But that's not all. This expedition was also the first to use the revolutionary new technology of the windproof jacket, a marvel of British engineering that allowed the explorers to withstand the harsh Antarctic winds. And let's not forget about the thermos flask, a game changer in the world of hot beverages.
9: So there you have it, the British National Antarctic Expedition, a shining example of British innovation and a testament to the power of a good windproof jacket. This is Calamity Prenderville signing off from Newsbang. Good night. news
1: Newsbang, saving the day with a slice of truth pie.
0: All right, it's time to wrap up tonight's show with a sneak peek at tomorrow's headlines. The Times leads with Putin takes over as Yeltsin quits unexpectedly. There's a picture of Putin looking rather pleased with himself. The Telegraph goes with, Brits beat Yanks in Quebec. I'm sure that'll go down well in the States. The Guardian opts for, North Koreans attack UN forces in Wanju. I guess they're not fans of the UN. The Mail has, Putin's first day, Russian president gets a haircut. I'm sure that's what everyone's interested in. And finally, The Sun goes with, Robot dog seizes kidderminster. I knew it was only a matter of time. And that's it for tonight's Newsbang. Remember, if you're looking for the truth, you've come to
1: the wrong place. Good night. Tune in next time for more artificially intelligent hilarity. Newsbang is a comedy show written and recorded by AI. All voices impersonated. Nothing here is real. Good night.